Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. So we're, we're coming to a close uh, here uh, with our message series. As you know, we've been doing the theme of pursue uh, over this year, and pursuing different things. And so the last almost nine weeks, I think it's been, well, two months, seven churches. Yeah, about two months. Um, we've been doing uh, this pursue church idea and what that means. So we've gone through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And when five of them, we found what we don't want to be, or if we are, we need to change, right? Uh, one was a persecuted church, right? The other was a faithful church. And we talked a little bit uh, also about the uniqueness of the church of Sardis, who had no um, persecution really whatsoever, and they had a reputation of being a live church, but from Jesus' perspective, there was, they were dead. And Sardis was the only church that Jesus found nothing good in. The other ch- churches were like, uh, you have this going for you, but, uh, which I like, but you need to change. With Sardis, it was like, well, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're not. And so he looks at that church and finds absolutely nothing good in them. And as we talked about last Sunday, you see that uh, that doesn't mean that uh, they weren't getting together and having a good time. They were probably a great social club, but they had nothing of any benefit to the kingdom of God or to the king himself. And so Jesus has this way of, I don't know if you've known this about him, but he always has this way of like telling the truth. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? A lot of times you may not want to hear it, but he has the reputation of, of telling it like it is. He tells it like it is to his disciples. He tells it like it is to the Pharisees. And I have, in the scriptures that I have read here, I have never seen him insecure about himself or about what he was going to say. And some people received it, and sometimes it was painful. Sometimes it was edifying. Sometimes it was great. Uh, but sometimes it was a, a, a painful thing. Sometimes the truth that Jesus speaks into our life can feel somewhat painful at the time. It can feel like maybe discipline at the time, but remember, he disciplines those whom he Right, okay. So that's a good thing. But he always seems to tell the truth, and with Sardis, he, he didn't, with all the churches, he didn't really, you know, hide anything or shade it. He told it like it was. At the end of it, too, <coughs> he would say, now, repent of these things, and, and, or I will take your lamp stand from among you, right? And then the last thing he said through all the churches is, is this little thing that says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, why would he say that little phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear? Because there are people who have ears that don't hear. You ever notice that in the church? People are, are good at hearing sometimes, but they're not good at listening. So what he's saying is, is he who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit, not, not what man is saying, but what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so we have to take a step back sometimes and we have to say, hey, listen, what is the Spirit saying to the church today? Because the Spirit was speaking in the church 2,000 years ago, the Spirit is, was speaking in the, the church during the Renaissance time. The, the Spirit is really never quiet. The, the issue is, is are, are people really listening to what the Spirit has to say 
to the church. So what is he saying? I don't think his message has changed. But I think the, our dullness of hearing as a church nationally has grown. We, we want to hear what we want to hear, but we don't want to hear what he has to say. It's the same way what people do with the Bible. They pick out the, the, the verses that make them feel good, and a lot of times what they think it means is not what it, makes it, they think it really says because they've taken the verses out of context. You know, oh, man, you should, the truth will set you free, man. Dude, truth will set you free. You people quote that. Non-people quote that all over the place. They have no idea what it means because in their world, truth is subjective. But in the church, you understand that there's a connection with that, don't you? If you abide in him and he in you, then you shall know not a truth, but the truth, and that truth is what will set you free. If there's no abiding, there's no freedom. But we like to try and claim a freedom without the intimacy and fellowship with him. And that is a lie. And a lot of people would rather live in that lie than experience the intimacy with Christ and experience his true freedom. The reason is, is because they don't want to give up their sin. They just don't want to give it up. And so because they don't want to give it up, they're going to heap up teachers that will speak what they want to say, and they're going to just so that they can live the way they want to live. Listen, it's been prophesied that's going to happen, so it should not surprise you. Jesus said at the end, it'll be like the days of Noah. The days of Noah were not good days on the earth. The days of Noah ended in a massive flood, right? But yet there was 100 years of God uh, testifying th- uh, his word through Noah, but nobody would listen. And he says it's going to be like that in, in the end times as well. It's not something to be fearful about. It's just like being men of Issachar and understanding the times in which you live and so how you can adjust your life to that and how you can get the word of God out there. Amen? Amen. So there, 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 really isn't, there really isn't anything to be afraid of. I've read the back of the book. The devil did it and we win. Okay? All right. So open up your Bibles, and we're going to go into the uh, book of Acts, and we're, we're talking about church. And so what is on my heart and what is on my mind, and I've read some extracurricular books. I, I've read some extra credit, okay? Um, I'm reading some extra credit. Uh, some books that go along well with uh, the idea of what church is. One of them is uh, a book, uh, uh, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan, um, and the other one is uh, Ecclesia by Ed Silvoso. You might know, remember him, he wrote the book, That None Shall Perish. Maybe that sounds familiar to you, but anyway, and uh, as I'm reading this thing, these things that are going along with the scripture and help kind of uh, dialing out what, what life was like back when the church was released, right? Um, I, I, I'm asking myself, is the way we do church today compatible with the way God had started the church back here? Is the way we're doing church today compatible or in alignment with God's original version of of how he was setting the church up to be? You see, it's okay to look at that stuff. Sometimes people get afraid because maybe the timbers are going to shake on on what they have built upon a foundation, right? And so it, it can get kind of scary. But change, um, change is not bad when it's godly, okay? 
I'm not a big, big believer in change for the sake of change, but I'm a big believer in changing something if it's going to align us up with more of the heartbeat of what God is saying and what the Spirit of God is saying. Amen? And so, um, no, we are not selling the building. No, we are not doing anything like that. So don't hear me. Uh, a, a building is a great place. But when you look at, when you hear the terms of syn- synagogue uh, and church, the term synagogue, uh, it, when it first came out, was never about a building. A synagogue was about the people who would gather together. Later on, it became about a building because, you know, when they got taken into, uh, taken over, we went through that and they went to uh, Syria, Syrians, Babylon, all that kind of stuff, they, they couldn't go back to their temple, right? And so they would gather in places. And so synagogues, when they come back, synagogues begin to spur up into smaller cities as well too. And it became about a building and not about the people. So man has this great capacity to take what God has done. I don't know if you know this, like Ten Commandments, to take what God has said or or what done and build a whole bunch of more extracurricular stuff around it that has no bearing on what God said in the first place. And he would say this to the Pharisees, right? He would say these things like, he's like, you, you value your tradition more than the word of God, right? So God is always hammering these wrong pillars that we've placed on his foundation. And so when it comes to church, what we wanna do is we wanna make sure that, um, that we don't value this building more than we value each other. And so in a, this is why in America today you've had churches that have split over the colors of carpet. And you think that's a joke, but it is not. It is not. We've had churches that split over the dumbest thing because they value buildings or they value their individual selves over each other. As if Jesus cares what color carpet you put in a building. Because he's over there The Spirit is manifesting itself out with a group of people with dirt floors and huts. Do you think he's really concerned about the buildings, the things that we build in America or in Europe or all these beautiful Notre Dame for crying out loud? Do you think that the the cathedral of Notre Dame has more value to God than the hearts of man? You're crazy. Now, is Notre Dame beautiful? Absolutely. Architectural? Absolutely. I'm not saying it's useless. I'm just saying you can't value that more than you do God's creation. And the other thing, too, is that God is no longer dwelling in these places. Did you know that? When Notre Dame or your church is empty, God is not here. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so you take it wherever you go. This is another reason not to value things more than people. And so mankind has, has tried to build these uh, wonderful statuesque churches that, to make God happy, a, a place where God, it will really be known that God would dwell. And uh, do you really think any of that stuff compares to his throne room in heaven? Do you really think that God sometimes says, wow, I mean, heaven is great, but look at that place. I don't, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. So I do not believe that God is concerned about buildings, but he is concerned about the ecclesia, the church, which is people. And what he's concerned about is that you are living in right relationship with him and then right relationship with each other. Whether you're in a tent in a cornfield or you're in a building in a cornfield or you're at 
some big church in Tulsa or some big church in Colorado Springs or wherever. All that stuff burns anyway, right? But it is the heart of people that he's after. And not just the heart, but because we can all say, I have a heart for God, but I do not have a heart for God if I do not have a heart for you and I do not have a heart for the lost. Don't talk to me about your heart for God if you don't have a heart for his people and you don't have a heart for the lost. If you don't have a heart for those two things, then you don't have the heart of God. You have the heart of yourself who wants to live in a cultural Christianity and not be bothered too much by truth, but we don't have the heart of God if we don't have the heart of those two things. And I'm not saying these things to be crass and I'm not saying these things to be, I'm not angry. I just, this is just the truth from scripture of what God is really concerned about, okay? Did you, no, that's, no, never mind. Okay, uh, so let's look at scriptures. Let's go here. Um, Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, this is what he says. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he had said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus has been talking about, i.e. the Holy Spirit, uh, for so long is finally going to be poured out on them. So you remember throughout the scriptures, especially in John 16, where Jesus is talking to them about the Holy Spirit, right? And he's like, um, he's like, listen, uh, he's going to testify of me, the Holy Spirit, and then you are going to testify of me because you have been with me. Listen, you can't testify about something that, you, it, that the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed in you or if you haven't been with Jesus. You can't testify about what you don't know. Okay? So y'all should have your own testimony, right? And that testimony comes from the Holy Spirit in us, which is manifesting the presence and power of Jesus in us. So you can know Jesus today and you can know him uh, in intimate ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then again in John 16, later on down the road, you know, you can kind of sense there, what is he talking about? It's getting kind of cranky. What do you mean you're leaving? He's like, listen, you don't understand. It benefits you if I go, because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And it's in essence as Jesus in Steve Harmon talk is like, hey, listen, trust me. You're really going to want the Holy Spirit. I'm good. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, man, it's like the Holy Spirit is going to manifest the work that Jesus did in those three years. Like Jesus like manifested the fishes and the loaves, right? 5,000 people plus women and children. You got, you got a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And he's going to manifest that to feed all those people. What the Holy Spirit does is he takes those three years that Jesus lived and he manifests that stuff into the heart through his word and through the spirit. And so that's why we're still talking about Jesus today. Because he's not dead, and the Spirit is his lifeblood in us. Do you hear anybody really talking about burning sacrifices to Zeus? Anybody? There may be a couple people, but most everybody else laughs at them, right? Do you hear any of these foreign things from... No, absolutely not. But Jesus has been around for 2,000 years, and he's not going anywhere. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And when people take a name in vain, they don't take anything else. 
they either say GD or JC followed by a bunch of other words that follow, right? Have you ever, have, have you ever heard anybody swear by the Hindu gods? Have you ever heard anybody take uh, Allah's name in vain like that? No. But they mercilessly crucify with their words the name of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Why? Well, why would the enemy want to say curses upon himself? He's saying curses on what is true. I mean, think about that for a second. It's, it's a small thing, but it's a true thing. And it leads me into the understanding even more that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. Okay. So, moving along. So, Jesus has given them the prophetic word about the soon coming future, right? He's like, you got to stay in Jerusalem and don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? That's what it says, right? Yeah? Okay. Just wondering. All right. So Jesus, he gives them the prophetic word, the soon coming event. Now, it's not just like, so many people would take that word, right, and say, okay, uh, he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on us. He's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, but it's not just that he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on us. It's that the, that pouring out is connected to a direct command, which is stay in Jerusalem. If you don't stay in Jerusalem... You're not going to be connected to the promise. Here's your discipleship point. If you don't stay where God has told you to stay, you will miss the promise of what God is wanting to do because obedience is connected with the promise fulfilled. You can't be living in in disobedience and expect to have a promise fulfilled like that in your life. If they don't stay in Jerusalem, people, they don't get the promise. So, so what happens, right? Then comes the question. Lord, are you at this time restoring the kingdom to Israel? Maybe a better thing would have said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore Israel to your kingdom? <laughs> but no, it's Israel to the kingdom. Why? Because they're looking for the Messiah to come. They're looking for him to take that seat. They're looking for him to kick Rome out and kick them hard and establish them up like has been said in Old Testament prophets that there's going to be rule and reign and you're all going to bow down to us and you're going to know the power and the judgment of God, right? Jesus is not going to answer those questions. What does he say? It's not time for you to, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that God has put in his own authority, which means there are some questions, oh, well, this is going to be, I think, uh, um, uh, there's going to be some things that um, you are never going to have the answers to on this side, because it's not for you to know. There's some things you're never going to have the answers to. Like, I really want to know the answers. Well, he's not answering the question. So move to the question that he's answering or listen to the Spirit. For some reason, it's not for you or me to know the times, and it says even the seasons, of his return. I understand why. I do. Because I know my own heart, and I think I have a pretty good understanding of the heart of sinful man. 
that we would live like hell right up until the day and repent like crazy, which really means we're not repenting, right? We would live like the devil. And then once we get close to understanding, well, he said he's coming back July 5th of 2021. So at 11.59 on July 4th, we're going to have a big repentance party. Then we'll all get to go to heaven. Yay. No. It's also, it, it, it wouldn't benefit because if you, well, let me stop. Let me just continue with this. I'll get in trouble. All right. All right, so are you restoring uh, the kingdom of Israel at this time? There's some things we're never going to know this, on this side. And we, they don't need to know anything else but what Jesus has already said. You know? This reminds me, he just reminds them that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he repeats that. Now it's connected with a purpose. Now follow me here. Um, well, here's discipleship number two for you. Trying to understand things, uh, trying to understand all things before you obey doesn't build your faith. It destroys it. Trying to understand all things before you obey what he has said does not build your faith. Obeying, even when you don't understand, builds your faith. And that's what he's looking for. Does that, did, did you catch that? Does it make sense? So I don't have to have all the ins and outs and hows and wherefores and whyfores and all that different kind of stuff. If he asks me to go and I know it's his voice, and that shouldn't be hard because if you're your sheep, you know his voice, right? He makes this very easy. My sheep know my voice. So if you're his sheep, you know his voice. So if he speaks to you, you should recognize his voice in you. And so what that means is, is I don't have to spend a whole lot of time wondering about what God wants me to do. What I'm really doing is trying to figure out in my own strength how I'm going to work out what he said. And that's not what he asked me to do. He asked me to step out and go. But the working out of everything is something that I may not know until I get on the other side of where he's told me to go. And that's faith. So, so he reminds them that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. He doesn't tell them how it's going to happen or anything like that. They may have a little bit of an understanding because they got to borrow a little bit of that power when they went out by 70 and 72 to do things. And they were so surprised about it because even the demons are subject to us. Well, well, the demons are subject to the Holy Spirit, not, not necessarily you and your own power, but the power that's in you, the demons are subject to, right? He says, don't even gloat about that. Don't take no pride in any of that stuff. So they have maybe a little bit of understanding of, of but what they don't have the understanding of is how, to, how that works in their life full time. So listen, uh, he reminds them that they're going to receive power when it comes upon them, and then he tells them that there's, there is purpose for the power that's coming upon them. So the power that's coming upon them is not for them to do what they want when they want. The power that's coming upon them is so that they will be witnesses, testify of him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth. So the power of God accompanies the word of God wherever it goes. So there's no such thing as a powerless gospel. There's powerless people, but there's not a powerless gospel. You never separate the two. Never does that in scripture. You know, he never, he never says, hey, Jesus never came on the earth and said, hey, listen, 
take me into your heart and everything's going to be fine. The idea of coming to Christ is not about asking him to be in my heart. It's you surrendering your life to, for him and following him wherever he goes or wherever he tells you to go. When I break it down to, I, I just want him to, to live in my heart. What I'm saying is I want to live my life and I'll give you a little room in the corner and when I need something, I'll crack the door and say something. But when you take the ideas of committing your life to Christ in, in first century, these guys left everything. When you read the beginning of the Gospels, hey, follow me. Beats fishing, right? No. There was something inside of him that was connecting to them, and they didn't understand it. And they didn't understand it for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, when he's saying tough things about eat my flesh and drink my blood, but he's not necessarily explaining it. He's just saying, yeah, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no part of me if you don't do that, right? And everybody's like, ah, that's tough. A lot of disciples left. He turns to the, the 12, and he, he doesn't, like, give them a break, does he? Because he's not insecure. He doesn't say, guys, come here, let me explain it to you. He says, he looks at them and says, you're going to leave too? See, that's, that's, a, that's, that's measuring the commitment level. When Jesus asks us to do something that we have no understanding what that even means, it's like, Jesus, what do you, what do you mean go talk to people in the store, right? What do you mean share my faith? I'm quite happy coming to church on Sunday morning, getting a message. I probably won't apply it, but at least it's good to the ears. And then I'll go out and I'll do the same thing week after week, but nothing changes in my life. That's the definition of insanity. Doing something over and over, expecting different changes, but they never happen. Why do you keep doing the same things over and over again? Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Then don't do that, right? But that's what the Western idea of church has become. Sit in your seat, pay your tithe, do what we tell you. If you got a problem, shut up. Or you're, you're not being submitted. I mean, you, you want to live your marriage that way? Okay. So the power of God coming upon them in the upper room is, is connected with a purpose. Listen. I don't know where to go with this. Where do you want it, Lauren? Let's go to uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 12. It says, then they returned from the Mount of Olives, okay? So, uh, he tells them it's going to be connected. Uh, he ascends, and they're watching him ascend. Can you imagine that? Watching him ascend into the heavens. He ascends in the heavens, and two guys in white are like, hey, why are you standing here watching? He's going to come back the same way. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to trust. As he went up, so he's going to come down. Now it's time for you to be about his work until the time he comes back. Simple as that. Simple as as that, be about his work. And so then what happens is they returned in verse 12 uh, to Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives, which is near Salem, Jerusalem, and a Sabbath day journey. 
Uh, when they arrived, they went to the room, the upper stairs, where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They, they all continued united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, <coughs> the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <coughs> okay. <coughs> so we got an idea who was always there. In the very bottom uh, last two sentences are the very most important you will ever, ever read, and that is they were united in prayer. Are you starting to get it? The reason there's no power in this church or in the church is because people aren't united in prayer. They've come with their agendas. And a church, which is the people, and the people who have their agendas are not going to be united in prayer and are not going to experience the power of God. You see, if coming to Christ is about submitting your will to him and letting him reign in your life, if that truly happens, it should not be that difficult to live in unity with one another. Because once I am a believer and my life is committed to him, my life then is also committed to you as a believer. Did you know that? It should be. It should be then that your needs and your concerns are more important to me than mine. The Bible says that. Paul says that. Think more of others than you do your own self. When he talks about living in godly community with one another. It's hard to live like that when you've lived in such unbelievable amount of abundance in our nation. But you begin to understand that when you're persecuted for what you believe because then doors begin to shut on you or it feels like everybody hates you but, what, but you, you have actually such great favor from God. <laughs> and that, unfortunately, it's like the only time people ever really changed, what you always said, is pain. Pain seems to be the motivator in people's lives that brings about change. And unfortunately, that's drifted into the life of the church. We're not going to do anything unless we, we feel the pain of it. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it shouldn't be that way. So me living in relationship with him, the byproduct of that is living in relationship with you. And it really should not be as difficult as the church has made it. It really shouldn't be as stressful I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. Sure, we're, we're all human beings. But in reality, man, with Jesus in me and Jesus in you and Jesus in here because we're all in here or whatever church, it should be really easy to function as a cohesive unit because we should be united in prayer. See, unless, unless you're united in prayer, praying of one accord and one mind, you're not going to see the power in your life or in the church. It doesn't change. This is the book. This is the testimony. This is how he set it up. He didn't change it anywhere uh, in uh, the Renaissance or the Reformation or anything like that. Did you know that, 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 in, that unity is, is a principle? 
of the kingdom, but it can also be used by the enemy as well? See, the enemy knows the principles, but he tries to use them for his side. This is why when you have the Tower of Babel and they're building this tower, what does God say? Man, they're united and nothing they do will be refused them because they're operating under a principle except they're using it for darkness and not light. So what does God do? Well, let's just confuse their languages because I don't want the, I don't have to judge them (laughs) because that's what he would do. So that's where you get the confusing of the languages and the people going to the different places. And there's where disunity begins to happen. But in that way, it was really to spare their life because they were unified in something that was against God. And you know what happens when the entire earth becomes uh, unified against God. Judgment in some way, shape, or form is going to happen, whether it be the flood or the end times that will come whenever they come. So he's saying, I want you to be unified uh, in prayer. I want you to hold fast to my promises. I want you to pray these promises. And then I'm going to release power upon you in the whole, on, of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to go out. And, and so um, let me just say this. Jesus talks far more about the kingdom than he does the church. Paul talks a lot more about the church. It's not one or the other. It's the order. The kingdom is the kingdom. The church operates in the kingdom. So if you're, if you're a military man here, the church is your fob, your forward operating base. And your forward operating base is this, this place where, where people gather. It can be relatively safe, but it's where missions get sent out, supplies get sent out, and stuff like that on the military battleground. And they go out and they support. And it can be a place where people come off the field and get some rest if they need to, but they're going out. So the church is really like a, a forward oper- operating base for the kingdom. And so, as we talked about last week, the, the word um, ecclesia that Jesus uses in the New Testament in Matthew 16 and 18, the, the two times he uses the word ecclesia, right? The word ecclesia did not begin with Jesus. It was centuries before. And what they used it for back then in, in Greek times was people gathering together and ruling over small cities. And in, in, for the Greeks, if you were 18, you had military service, you could become a part of the ecclesia, which would govern the cities. Romans did the same thing. As a matter of fact, you remember, this is, I'm, this is review, but last week when we talked about, Rome believed that when, uh, wherever you were in the world, when two Roman people would gather together, then the power of Rome through, the, through Rome and the power of, the, of Caesar would manifest itself in that place. Which is why Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. The kingdom of God is there. Okay? So the enemy's trying to use principles to establish himself, but Jesus is like, no, no. For the ecclesia, where two people gather together, the kingdom is going to manifest from that point. And then I'm going to build the church, right? And the gates of hell ain't going ain't to come against it. Well, why would the church of hell come against it? Or why would the gates of hell come against the church? Because he's planting a church right by where the gates of hell would have been when he's using that scripture. He's like, the church is going to be planted not in safe places high up away from danger. I'm going to plant them at the very seat of idolatry. Wherever Satan has gone and done, I'm going to put a forward operating base that will, an ecclesia that will establish my kingdom and go out and advance its cause. 
So wherever two or three are gathered, that's an ecclesia. That's where the power and the kingdom of God is going to be manifested, and you're going to see things happen. But we've been so conditioned that bigger is better. And if I don't have a church of 500 doing three or four different kinds of services, I haven't made it. And we've got people who are, who are in those type of churches that are believing that same type of crap, which is why they will have no, no relations with people who have churches of 20 because they find no value in that. It's because they find no value in the true ecclesia of Jesus. They find the value of building their own empire, but they don't find the value of building their kingdom, the kingdom of God. I don't have to have a PhD. I don't have to have all this type of education to see what's happening out there. So that's why I think, you know, we see, you know, the Bible talks about tough times coming ahead, and we don't have to be afraid. The true ecclesia doesn't have to be afraid of that. People who are building their empires do. Because they're going to go from being, uh, if they ever were, the church that Jesus built into the cultural church just to survive. It means they won't preach truth. And they may stay big. They may even grow. But like Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? You're making them twice the sons of hell as you are because you're preaching a thing that keeps people in bondage and doesn't preach truth and freedom. See, praying what God has promised is not, is not you trying to make something happen. This is a discipleship three thing for you. Praying what God has promised is aligning yourself, preparing your heart, and submitting your will to what God wants to do through you, in you, and through you. I'll say that one more time. Praying what God has promised is not you trying to make something happen. Praying what God has promised is aligning yourself, preparing your heart, submitting your will to what God wants to do in you and through you. And when you do that personally, it is powerful. When you do that corporately, it shakes the earth. Acts 17, right? Six. Jason, they pull Jason out of his house. They're all torqued off. Why? Because those who have shook, turned the world upside down have now come here. And they're angry. Why are they angry? Because nothing can stop the purpose and the power of God when his people are united. There should be really no Spiritual heaviness over a city is because the church isn't doing what the church was called to do. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to be happy eating perfect pancakes. That's not what I'm saying. But he has lost, the devil has lost the right. He has lost, he's been judged. He has lost the power. He has lost his authority. Authority has been given to Jesus, and Jesus has given that authority to you. And so the church then has the, if they'll pray in unity, <coughs> has the power then to dispel heaviness from spirits over cities. 
So why are cities dark? Because the church is divided. It's, it's not hard to see these things. Okay, we'll close it up here. Uh, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When Pentecost had come, they arrived at the place. They were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and they saw tongues, <coughs> uh, uh, tongues that looked like flames of fire that uh, separated and rested and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, the power of the Spirit of God is not an event. Okay? It's not about an event. Many people are chasing an event. And when, and when you chase, like, an event, what begins to happen is, is that you, um, you begin to... Um, well, when we relegate this to an event, what we have to do is we have to create the right environment so that something will manifest in the event. But really what is happening here in Acts chapter 2 is not an event as it is the new way of life for the believer. It's not an event. It's how you're supposed to live. Empowered with the Spirit in you, going out doing what God has called. And when you live like that, what happens is instead of you trying to control the environment, now the environment of heaven is now in you. And that means that that can manifest, manifest whether it's in this building here or whether there's two of you in Walmart, that same Holy Spirit will manifest, the power will manifest to accomplish his will and his word. Do you realize that revival could start in Walmart? Walmart may not like it. So if it does, just make sure you at least buy a Coke on the way out, right? But the reality is, revival, we've, it's not about here in this building. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it can be, but he is far more excited about when his people go out like the two-by-twos and are going out and seeing places of revival, bubbles of life begin to happen in places that the devil seems to occupy. The church is not about building safe houses to hide from the world. The church is about equipping people to go out in there and, and remove darkness and establish kingdom. That's it. But remember what we said, once Constantine got saved, what happened? The church went from the streets into the building, and we've been fighting ever since to get them out of the building and back out on the streets. I was going to sing a song, but Facebook would probably flag me for it, so I'm always watching. <laughs> but you remember that song? I'm going to do it. I don't care. You remember the song, Taking It to the Streets? That's the Doobie Brothers. It doesn't mean exactly what I'm saying, it, but I'm reclaiming it. And the church has to take it to the streets, right? We have to. We have to. Or it's not the church. Things have to change. It's called reformation, renewal. Bringing things back to what God intended it to be. Um. So we'll stop there. I have a whole lot more scriptures, and uh, I don't know if we'll 
finish thing, but let's just do this. Allow yourself to live in the environment of God. You say, how do you do that? You know, we, we've talked this uh, from the beginning of taking over. We talked about, you know, um, establishing heaven here on earth, right? Jesus prayed it. Our Father in heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in. Who prayed it? Who did who? So then you should expect it. I don't think Jesus prays something without the expectation of it actually happening in the life of the church. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you are the agents of that change. The, the church is the forward operating base of the kingdom. She should be strengthening believers, equipping believers like Ephesians tells us to do, to go out and do the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? Seeing the lost saved and establishing the kingdom wherever we go. Wherever we go. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.